is Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. Today's episode is sponsored by Health Innovation Media. We bring your brand messaging alive on the ground and now in the virtual space for major trade show, conferences, innovation summits via our signature pop-up studio. Connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, publisher of ACOWatch.com, and your Pop Health Week co-host with my partner, co-founder, Fred Goldstein, the president of Accountable Health, LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Our guest is Mark Michnick, MD, the Chief Executive Officer of Mind Sciences, a company founded by author, physician, scientist, and world-class addiction specialist, Judd Brewer, MD, PhD. A seasoned life sciences executive with extensive global health experience, Dr. Michnik founded and ran several companies that have been acquired by multinationals such as Lubrizol and BASF. He trained as a pediatrician and has worked as a physician in the U.S. and multiple developing countries. Today, we discuss the role of mindfulness and the power of behavioral health support and coaching to positively impact addictions, including smoking cessation, weight loss, and the very current topic of how to manage anxiety during this global COVID-19 pandemic. So Fred, over to you. Help us get to know Dr. Michnik and his work at Mind Sciences. Thank you so much, Greg. And Mark, welcome to Pop Health Week. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on, Mark. Very interested to learn more about mind sciences and mindfulness and what you're doing right now. Perhaps give us a little bit of a background on yourself and what mind sciences does. So I'm a doc by training, pediatrician, although I spent the last 25 or so years running drug development groups, uh, mostly for research organizations within pharma. Came to mind sciences in 2018. And what we do is we have a series of apps based on the work of uh, Judd Brewer. Uh, the apps use mindfulness to effect habit change for the users, in short. So I know you've got a couple of different apps, and we'll get into those a little bit later. Mindfulness has really become a hot topic now. And why is it that that's so? And I also know there are all kinds of behavioral health apps out there now. What sort of makes Mind Sciences and, and the work it does different from some of the others? We really hold true to the original definition of mi- mindfulness. That, you know, that's a word that's really gone out into the public and has lost a lot of its meaning uh, over the past couple of years. Uh, what makes us different is that the apps that we've developed have been based on work, again, of, uh, of Dr. Judd. And so that means that there's been roughly $13 million invested into proving out the apps themselves. So that involves 3,000 people in clinical trials, tens of thousands of real-world users, probably 70 publications at this point. So uh, in in short, what makes us different is we're evidence-based. We're not simply going out and saying the equivalent to, hey, diet's good for you, and this diet that I have is fantastic without actually having proven it. So what sort of research have you done and what sort of studies have you done around your apps? So they've ranged from in-person questionnaires to actual clinical trials. So like I uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, about 3,000 people have been in mostly randomized clinical trials. Some have been non-randomized. Our most recent one to publish any day now actually was not randomized. Um, But these are studies that look at clinical outcomes to look at actual brain function using imaging technology. We've looked at our Craven Quit app which is a cigarette smoking cessation app. We've looked at E-Right Now, which is an app aimed at binge eating and other eating disorders. And of course, we've looked at Unwinded Anxiety, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's for stress and anxiety management. And these apps are available 
both to corporations or employers as well as to individuals? They are. They are. So until relatively recently, we are primarily B2C, business to consumer, and the vast majority of our users came from there. On January 1 this year, we entered into partnership with ShareCare, uh, who you know is a large benefits provider, where they're bringing the apps as part of their digital platform uh, to corporate America. So we're now, I think, on the menu for at least hundreds of thousands, if not several million employees, and that's growing day by day. And so are they using it to start out? Is it the smoking app? Is it the three of them, or where do they start with that? Right. So the smoking app was the first to launch. That was January 1st. Uh, and the other two apps are coming in early summer, roughly. Exact date is not public yet, but uh, mid this year. And I know that the studies you've done have been, you know, they're at some pretty well-known universities Could you kind of, or, or research centers. Could you talk through some of the places you've worked with on this? Sure. So Judd is, uh, has done very well for himself. He's been at uh, Yale, UMass. He's currently at Brown University. The studies uh, have all out of those places as well as uh, University of California. And Judd's been funded by, let's see, NIH, National Cancer Institute, several private large foundations. Um, so the, the list is quite extensive. And obviously, yeah, I mean, smoking is a very difficult thing to change, as well as eating habits. It's, it seems like these are, and anxiety as well, it seems like these are really tough things that people have tried other ways to do it. Is there something about it in the mindfulness itself that makes it more amenable to creating that kind of behavior change? Sure. So mindfulness, when taught methodically, actually gets at the root cause or the, the, um, the root access point for habits. So just a, a little bit of background. Our thinking brain, our newer part of our brain, which evolved about a million years ago, it's called the prefrontal cortex. That's the part of our brain that we reason with, we plan with. And when we're under, under stress, it literally goes offline and we revert back to our older, more primitive, primitive brain. To lay down a new habit, you have to change something called the reward value, which is how much your brain values a particular behavior. When you're in reactive mode, you just access that information. You don't actually change it. So what mindfulness does, it allows you to keep your prefrontal cortex in the game so that you can provide it new information, change the reward value, and thus change a habit, whether it's eating or smoking or anxiety, believe it or not, acts very much like a habit. With a new reward value, you can actually change the habit in a lasting way as opposed to trying to use willpower, which is just force yourself to do something differently. And we all know we've all tried diets. We've all tried to exercise more and that sort of thing. Forcing yourself only lasts a short period of time um, and always falls apart under stress. That's why we break our diets at night because we're tired and we're stressed. Make sense? It, it sure does. And maybe, you know, you mentioned Judd and obviously I know Judd fairly well. Could you give the audience a little background on Judd, who he is and his uh, training, et cetera? Sure. So Judd Brewer is an addiction psychiatrist and a neuroscientist. Uh, we've already gone to the institutions, gone over the institutions that he, uh, he trained at. He currently pra practices um, still clinically at Brown University in Providence. And he is a thought leader, uh, you know, pretty much worldwide on the science and the neuroscience of habit change. So if you've seen videos of Anderson Cooper on an EEG or uh, MRIs of meditators' brains, there's a good chance that Judd was the person behind those. And essentially, I think, as I understand it, he took his initial sort of research in working groups and mindfulness with individuals and said, we can take that type of approach and apply it to an app that can reach a person through that that technology versus just having a group or a face-to-face -face meeting. Is that right? It is. Judd's um, sort of original aha moment, as, as he's explained it to me, was he was uh, 
looking at or studying uh, Buddhist meditation. That's actually how Judd and I met. And he realized that he could map this ancient wisdom, this ancient technology around psychology, this ancient Buddhist technology, to modern neuroscience. So terms that you and I wouldn't necessarily find have, you know, have a lot of meaning in today's world have, actually have specific meanings. And he found that he could map those directly to what he was learning as a neuroscientist. And that got him super interested in mindfulness because uh, it turns out that these insights are probably 2,500 years old, but they didn't have an MRI. And Judd has an MRI. So... When you think of mindfulness, I mean, there are, there are, I'd hate to go up to the App Store right now and do a, a quick search on mindfulness. I'd probably come up with hundreds, if not thousands, of potential apps. But And as I, I talked about in one of my Pop Health Minutes on this topic, there are a lot of behavioral health apps out there, but very few have any science to them. In, in mindfulness, have you seen much beyond what Judd has done and Mind Sciences has done in terms of validating outcomes associated with these types of approaches through that technology? There's one of two groups out there that use CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, that have actually done some trials, but the vast majority, and we're talking you know, greater than 99% of health and wellness apps out there that claim to have mindfulness as a component, actually have no data. They're relying on the fact that the, the concept in general is useful, but in terms of the way they're applying it or their app, there's, there's nothing really to back that up. And when you think about this space, uh, you know, there are obviously these huge apps out there in the mindfulness space, Calm and uh, Headspace obviously are really big, yet you've gone from the beginning and done studies and perhaps not all the marketing to actually validate that you achieve real-world outcomes in populations with real-world issues. So is that sort of the major differentiator at this point? It is, but I, I don't want to um, sort of criticize those those particular apps. Right. You know, they, they actually have a different purpose. What we've done is we're taking mindfulness, we're applying it to a very specific disease state, be it smoking, eating, or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of those other apps uh, you, you mentioned are more general. They're teaching people perhaps mm-hmm. how to meditate, or they're providing people with a, uh, you know, a 10-minute calm break, so to speak. We're often grouped together with those and they with us, but we're really mm-hmm. uh, going after, after different purposes for the most part. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And because, as a matter of fact, I use one of those apps and I use it for general mindfulness. But I've used Eat Right Now at one point to actually change some of my eating habits. And so, as you said, it's a much more focused approach, whether it's smoking, anxiety, or eating disorders that you've developed versus this general approach to go after mindfulness. Yeah, so I mean, I was studying. Buddhist psychology and, medita- and meditation and mindfulness for, you know, well over a decade, decade. And, it, you know, I'd reach a point where I could apply it to a specific situation. But if your primary concern is a particular situation, you're much better off learning the skill set in that context. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. Today's episode is sponsored by Health Innovation Media. Our guest today is Mark Michnik, the Chief Executive Officer of Mind Sciences, a company founded by author, physician, scientist, and world-class addiction specialist, Judd Brewer, MD, PhD. Join Dr. Judd Brewer for office hours with Dr. Judd. Coronavirus Anxiety on Monday, April 6th. For more information or to connect with the live stream, go to www.youtube.com forward slash drjud. Yeah, and when you talk about these apps, are they something you do all the time or is it, are they typically, are they time limited? How do they work when somebody gets involved in one of these? Sure. So uh, depending on the app, 
there are 21 to 30 core modules, which are little lessons that, that you do one a day. It takes less than 10 minutes a day. And then in addition to the lessons, there are in-the-moment tools. So let's talk about Eat Right Now, for, ex for example. You'll do the lesson usually in the morning is what we rec recommend, but you can pick your own time. If during the day you're having a craving for food, uh, you can open up any number of tools. We have one called the Craving Tool, tool surprisingly. Um, and it will walk you through uh, a mindful exercise that will allow you, again, to access that prefrontal cortex, that PFC that I talked about, so that you can mindfully experience what, that, what hunger is possibly determine that it's not hunger. It might be anxiety. It might be uh, anger or something else that your brain is just substituting hunger for. But in any case, you, can, you walk through this. Um, you may or may not eat as a result of it. Uh, the app will use a little algorithm and figure out whether it recommends to you that you eat or not. Uh, and then you intake that information with an open mind, an open posture, so that you're helping change the reward value, which I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And one of the other areas that you worked on uh, is the newer one is around anxiety. And I know a lot of us in the healthcare field have talked about this. It's a major issue, particularly for physicians and others. Uh, and, and you've actually done some specific research in that area. Can you talk some about the research you've done with anxiety and physicians? Yeah, sure. So obviously with everything that's going on for the past couple of weeks, uh, anxiety is the app by far that's being downloaded and, and, and subscribed to the most uh, by our users. We're, we're talking, you know, thousands at this point uh, of, of new people. The research you're, you're speaking of was with a physician group in uh, Massachusetts uh, where we took, uh, I believe it was 35 physicians and we had them use the app. They were scored on an anxiety scale. It's called the GAD7 pre prior to starting the app during and then post. And what we saw was a 50% reduction in GAD7 scores amongst those physicians who had anxiety. So that, that is a massive change, by the way. That's without medication. That's with uh, nothing more than the app uh, as prescribed, so to speak, 10 minutes a day using the in-the-moment tools. And really importantly, that change was seen at one month, and then at three months, it actually increased a little bit. So the change was sustainable. It was durable. That's fantastic. I know that, you know, given all the stress the physicians under now and the articles coming out about it and having to chart after hours and use EMRs, and now you add on top of it, you know, this COVID infection that we're dealing with, obviously important issue. And part of that as well is I know that Mind Sciences and Judd have begun to focus more on this issue of anxiety associated with COVID or the coronavirus and are doing daily things and other updates. What exactly are, are you and Judd doing around that? Uh, a lot, actually. So it's, it's actually been all-consuming for us, really an all-hands-on-deck effort at this point. So in, in addition to the normal stuff, which, uh, you know, all of our, all the, you know, reputable apps out there are, are doing, which is lowering price, uh, increasing scholarship program. So we have a way of uh, getting the app out to folks that can't afford it. Uh, as you mentioned, Judd is doing short daily video pieces where he goes over a specific topic like hoarding, anger, and, of course, anxiety. Uh, just did one on sleep. Uh, so those are on YouTube, on a YouTube live channel that we have. You can see those that just go to YouTube and search for Dr. Judd, D-R period, J-U-D. You can find our channel. Uh, and in addition, on Mondays at noon Eastern, we're holding uh, what we're calling office hours. So this is Judd uh, live, making himself available to wh whoever wants to um, dial in, uh, join the video chat, and field questions on any number of topics. So we just did our first one a week ago. That was kind of a pilot. Uh, the first one that we uh, 
made public really was this past Monday, uh, and we'll be continuing that indefinitely. And what time was that again on Mondays? It's noon Eastern uh-huh. on Monday. And they can just go to YouTube to get involved with that? Yep, go to YouTube, search dr.jud, uh, and you'll see a link to the Monday Office Hours is the title, as well as a bunch of other content that we've put up there. And this is all free. Advice? Yep, so we have a moderator behind the scenes. Uh, the way YouTube Live is set up, people can text in uh, on the side of the screen questions, and mm-hmm. we field them as they come in. And with your smoking app, have you seen any other employers or other groups begin to take a look at this? I know you mentioned share care. It's obviously a huge issue that we sort of have plateaued with it, and it would be nice to begin to see that trend further down. Is, is, are you getting some uh, input or, or uh, thoughts from employer groups to possibly implement things like that? So, yeah, so I'm, I'm not, uh, unfortunately, I'm not at liberty to say which of ShareCare's clients have picked it up, but it's, it's being um, broadly and enthusiastically accepted. And, in fact, one of the major requests we had was to add a vaping component to it, which we are doing, and that will be out probably within a month and a half. Interesting, very interesting. So another question that kind of comes maybe a little more clinical, I'm not sure if you could uh, address this one or not. Do, do individuals who are experiencing a lot of anxiety like we see now around with the coronavirus, is that an immunosuppressive type of event? Does that cause immune systems to potentially weaken? So there's, there's no question that the whole mind-body distinction is not a distinction at all. Uh, our, 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 what we perceive as our mind and our body are intricately connected. Uh, and there's lots of data around stress and greater susceptibility to infectious disease as well as other diseases, high blood pressure, uh, other forms of cardiac disease, et cetera. So, of course, there's no data yet about the stress specifically from uh, COVID-19, um, but the link between stress and suppressed immunity, greater susceptibility to being ill is clear, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's obviously one of the concerns we, we all have now given the situation we're in. If you were to look at and had, let's say you had an unlimited budget, are there other target areas you would have beyond the three you have now that you would say, hey, let's go move this app into this space or to deal with this condition? What might be the next ones you would consider? Sure. And if, and if you know anybody with an unlimited budget, let me know, please. I'm happy to talk to them. <laughs> Absolutely. The, yeah. So there, there, there are obvious ones like chronic pain management. Uh, this is actually where mindfulness got its start in the U.S. Uh, through mindful-based stress reduction. Uh, a personal favorite of mine is, is more around financial management. Um, mindfulness lends itself beautifully to uh, better care of your, of your personal finances. Uh, alcohol and any uh, other substance abuse issue, of course. You know, and any, any habit that needs to be changed, mindfulness can be a component of whether it's sufficient on its own is the question. So potentially you would match this up with other approaches, as you're saying, and maybe look at something like the opioid addiction or things like that where it might be uh, one of the tools in that tool set. Sure, yeah. So if, if, if uh, to take an extreme, um, if, if one is a, you know, has a heroin problem, uh, I'm not so sure I, I, I you know, would say mindfulness is going to be your answer, but mindfulness can certainly be a big part of your answer. Mm-hmm. And... Do you see now that people are beginning to actually accept this more? Obviously, you have this relationship with ShareCare, which is a pretty big sign of that. But is it becoming a little bit more mainstream versus how it may have been perceived a few years back? Are we finally crossing that threshold? Yeah, without a doubt. So um, 
you know, I, w- I went to medical school in the late 80s, uh, and this was not a topic um, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Ten years ago, I would have said that this was something that a few people in corporate America would have listened to. Uh, at this point, uh, virtually everybody we talk to is familiar with, if not um, already accepting of it as a, as a viable strategy. Mm-hmm. And and you said you've been doing mindfulness, and that's how you first met Judd. Is that right? Uh, correct. Yeah. So how long have you been doing this? Close to twenty years at this point, in one shape or another. I used to uh-huh. uh, still do when I get a chance. Go to a place called Barry Center for Buddhist Studies. It's a center up in Barry, Massachusetts. Obviously, uh-huh. that focuses on um, on early Buddhist psychology, um, both as an academic and practical matter. Uh, Judd uh, is also very interested in this, and he's up there a lot. In fact, I believe he's on the board, uh, and that's where we met. Uh-huh. And how has it impacted you? Uh, should probably ask my wife how that <laughs> how that's impacted me. Um, my my uh, as, as far as I can tell, I have uh, much better control over uh, my outward interactions with folks. I think I make uh-huh. more sound decisions uh, than I would have without without the skill set. Uh, and I like to think that I can uh, weather storms such as we're going through right now uh, with a little more equanimity. It's a hard uh-huh. experiment to run, right? So there is no control. You know, right. there's, not, there's not a clone of me who did not study mindfulness out there wreaking havoc that I can look at and say, oh, yeah, I'm doing better. So who knows? But uh, that's how I feel. Yeah, no, it's fascinating because as I've been doing that nowhere near as long as you, about four years now, and, and also have found very similar to the points you raised, at least for my impression impact on me and everybody obviously is different in how they approach mindfulness and it works but it really is an interesting area to explore and it's really nice now to begin to see some real research coming out that says here's something we may want to consider that actually is allowing us to change behaviors and I've been working on you know in the area of social determinants of health and personal choice and all these things and behavior change is hard so maybe we've now got a tool that's being proven to help us make those big changes that many of us need to make to uh, improve our own health status. Yeah, and you know, and it fundamentally goes back to the neuroscience. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, what, what mindfulness, is, mindfulness is, it's a practice that actually affects long-term change in your brain. So it's not, you know, you're not learning to force yourself to act differently. What you're doing is you're learning to allow you to pause in between input and reaction. And in uh-huh. that pause and in deciding to do what is hopefully a more skillful, as the Buddhist would say, or a more helpful action, you're actually changing that reward value again. You're getting at and taking advantage of your modern brain as opposed to relying on, you know, caveman brain. If you want to look at some of our right. illustrations, that's how we uh, depict it. Right. And you said that Judd has done actual mapping experiments with, I guess, neuroimaging or something to show these changes or neuroelectric impulse stuff? Yep. So in, uh, in one of the smoking studies that published, I believe, in 2019, uh, he took uh, so sm- some smokers, uh, did fMRI. So it's an, uh, it's an imaging technique that relies on blood flow, and the more blood flow, uh, the more activity uh, in the brain there is. And he looked at a specific region of the brain, uh, which I'll broadly call the DMN. It's called the default, default mode network. Sort of in broad strokes, when you're daydreaming or into some self-referential thought pattern, or doing uh, habitual non-thinking activity, activity, the DMN is active. Uh, and he measured that in smokers, this particular group of smokers. They went through the app, and he showed that the more they used the app, the more the DMN quieted, 
and which became less active. And here's the important part. The less active it was for that group, the less they smoked. So he showed app usage causes a change in brain activity, and that correlates pretty much in a straight line with decreased number of cigarettes smoked. Wow. So that was the first time that anything like that had ever been shown. I think all of us in the field knew it, but proving it is, is another story, and, and he did. Right, and that's really the importance of, of doing this research and understanding and beginning to get into the, the biological mechanisms that, that cause this. So, and I would assume then as you look at each of these other types of behaviors, whether that's an eating behavior or anxiety, it's a similar progression in terms of, of how it works and what it does? Right. So uh, we all, me, you, everybody listening to this, rely on, on something called reward-based learning. It's the oldest mechanism of learning uh, in, in all mammals. It goes all the way back to the sea slug, believe it or not, which is this little thing that's got 20,000 neurons, the smallest thing that we call a brain. Um, and it basically says that as a three-part system, there is a trigger, some sort of event, there's a behavior, your response to the event, and then there's a reward. Uh, and pretty much everything we do, every habit we have, is based on that system. So, again, whether it's smoking or eating or any number of things, uh, accessing that system is the important part, um, and that's what the apps do, and they do it in, in a disease-specific way. Well, that's really fantastic. Well, I, I want to say uh, it's been a pleasure having you on, Mark, and we've certainly got a deep dive into mindfulness, and I appreciate your discussing all of these issues with us. Great, Fred. Thanks for having me. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Dr. Mark Michnick, Chief Executive Officer of Mind Sciences, for his timely insights today. Be sure to follow Mind Sciences' work on Twitter via at J-U-D-B-R-E-W-E-R, that's at Judd Brewer, and on the web at www.drjud.com, that's drjud.com. Join Dr. Brewer for Office Hours with Dr. Judd, Coronavirus Anxiety, on Monday, April 6th. For more information or to connect with the live stream, go to www.youtube.com forward slash drjud. For Pop Health Week, my colleague Fred Goldstein and Healthcare Now Radio, this is Greg Masters saying, stay safe, y'all. We get better together, if even virtually. Bye now. Bye now.